0: Chapter 1 of Teddy's Button. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kylie Goodfellow. Teddy's Button by Amy Lefevre. Chapter 1 An Antagonist. He stood in the centre of a little crowd of village boys. His golden head was bare in the blazing sun, but the crop of curls seemed thick enough to protect him from its rays, and he was far too engrossed in his occupation to heed any discomfort from the heat. A slim, delicate little lad, with a finely cut face, and blue eyes that by turns would sparkle with animation, and then settle into a dreamy wistfulness, with a deep, far-away look in them, They were dancing and flashing with excitement now, and his whole frame was quivering with enthusiasm. With head thrown back, and tongue, hand, and foot all in motion, he seemed to have his audience completely spellbound, and they listened with open eyes and mouths to his oration. With one hand he was fingering a large brass button, which figured conspicuously in the centre of his small waistcoat, and this button was the subject of his theme. My father—he rushed forward! "'Come on, men, we'll save the old colours. And they shouted, "'Hurrah!' as they made after him. There were guns going, and shells flying, and swords flashing and harking away, and the enemy poured on with fiery red faces and gnashing teeth. My father drew his sword, and no one could stand against him, no one. He cut and he slashed, and heads and arms and legs rolled off as quick as lightning, one after the other he got up to the colors, and with a shout he plunged his sword right through the enemy's body that had stolen them. The enemy fell stone dead. My father seized the colors and looked round. He was alone. The other soldiers had been beaten back. But was he in a funk? No. He gave a loud hurrah, picked up his sword, and fought his way back, the enemy hard after him. It was a race for life, and he ran backwards the whole way he wasn't going to turn his back to the enemy. He pressed on, shouting, Hurrah, till he got to his own side again, and then he reached his colonel. "'Captain dead, sir, I've got the colours. he saluted as he said it, and then dropped dead himself at the colonel's feet, the blood gushing out of his heart, and over his clothes, and over this button. The little orator paused as he sank his voice to a tragic whisper. Then raising it again, he added triumphantly, and thirty bullets and six swords had gone through my father's body that was something like a soldier oh i say murmured a small skeptic from the crowd it was twenty bullets last time make it fifty teddy and that's the story of my button pursued the boy ignoring with scorn this last remark and did your father have only one button to his coat The voice was a strange one, and the boys turned round to meet the curious gaze of a sturdy little damsel, who had, unnoticed, joined the group. She was not dressed as an ordinary village child, but in a little rough serge sailor suit, with a large hat to match, set well back on a quantity of loose, dark hair. A rosy-cheeked, square-set little figure she was, and her brown eyes, fringed with long black lashes, looked straight at Teddy with something of defiance and scorn in their glance though at first a little taken aback teddy rose to the occasion one button he said with emphasis the coat was sent to mother with only one button left on and if you here he turned upon his questioner with a little fierceness if you had been through such a bloody battle and killed so many men you would have burst and lost all your buttons and not had one left like father there was a round of applause at this but the small maiden remained undaunted is that a true story you told she demanded with severity in her tone of course it's true was the indignant shout of all then i tell you boy i don't believe a word of it and with set determined lips she turned on her heel and walked away having sown seeds of anger and resentment in more than one boyish breast who is she asked teddy as tired and exhausted by his recital he threw himself on the grass to rest one of the bigger boys answered him i see'd come yesterday in a cab from the town to old Sol at the turnpike she and a mother i reckon they had two carpet-bags and a box and a pole parrot in a cage i counted them myself for i was havin a ride behind and the woman she called Sol father so the little un must be his granddaughter p'raps they've come from merricky suggested a small urchin capering round at his hands and feet paul's ollies comes over the sea you know She didn't believe me, murmured Teddy, chewing a wisp of grass meditatively. Gals is never no good, never. If she'd been a boy, you would have fought her. But I shouldn't care for not like her, Ted. Teddy turned his face upwards to the speaker. No, I couldn't have fought her, Sam, if she'd been a boy. I've promised my mother I won't fight again till she gives me leave. You see, I fought four boys in one week last time, and she says she won't have it. I don't see if it is right for soldiers to fight. Why it isn't right for boys? I don't think there's any fellers left for you to fight with, so you're pretty safe. Besides, it was only Tom Larkin who set them on to try and get your button from you, and he's gone off to another part of the country now. I think, perhaps, went on Teddy slowly, as he turned over on his back and looked up at the clear blue sky above him, that I wasn't quite true about the bullets. I think it was six bullets and three sword cuts— I forget when i tell it how many it was but she said she didn't believe a word five o'clock struck the old church clock close by teddy was upon his feet in an instant and with a wild whoop and shout he was scudding across the green his curls flying in the wind and his little feet hardly seeming to touch the ground there was no one in the village so quick-footed as teddy and for daring feats and downright pluck he held the foremost place perhaps this accounted for his popularity perhaps it was his marvellous aptitude for telling stories many of them wild productions from his fertile brain but certain it was that he was the pet and the darling of the village and none as yet had resisted his sway over the green up a shady lane across two fields and then breathless and panting teddy paused before an old-fashioned farmhouse he passed his hands lightly through his curls, pulled himself up with a jerk, and then quietly and sedately opened a latched door and entered the long, low-roofed kitchen. There was something very restful in the scene. A square, substantial table covered with a white cloth, in the centre a large bowl of roses and honeysuckle, homemade bread and golden butter, a glass dish of honey in his comb, a plate of fresh watercress, and a currant loaf completed the simple fare. Presiding at the tea-tray was a stern, forbidding-looking woman of sixty or more. Opposite her was seated her son, the master of the farm, a heavy-faced, sleepy-looking man, and at his side, facing the door, sat Teddy's mother, a sweet, gentle-faced young woman she was, with the same deep blue eyes as her little son. She bore no resemblance to the elder woman, and looked, as she indeed was, superior to her surroundings.' Two years ago she had come with her child to make a home amongst her husband's people, and though at first her mother-in-law, Mrs. Platt, was inclined to look upon her contemptuously as a poor, delicate, useless creature, time proved to her that for steady, quiet work no one could eclipse her daughter-in-law. Young Mrs. John, as she was called, was now her right hand, and the dairy work of the farm was made over entirely to her late again you young scamp was the stern greeting of his grandmother as teddy appeared on the scene the boy looked at her with a twinkle in his eye put his little hand to his forehead and gave her a military salute sorry was all he said as he slipped into the chair that was waiting for him what have you been doing sonny asked the young mother whose eyes had brightened at the sight of him telling father's story replied teddy with alacrity a shadow came over his mother's face her lips took a distressed curve but she said nothing, only occupied herself with attending to the child's wants. "'Your father was never late for his meals,' the grandmother put in with asperity. "'Never, Granny? Not when he was a boy? I shall be always in time when I'm a soldier. Better begin now, then. Bad habits, like weeds, grow apace.' Teddy had no answer for this. His mouth was full of bread and butter, and he did not speak till the meal was over then whilst tea was being taken away by the women he turned to his uncle who pulling out a pipe from his pocket sat down by the open door to smoke uncle jake a grunt was the only response but that was sufficient the two perfectly understood each other and a minute after teddy was perched on his knee i'm wondering if i can't get an enemy the boy proceeded folding his small arms and looking up at his uncle steadily all good people had enemies in the bible and i haven't one i should like to have a good right down enemy to fight asked his uncle to carry on with you know he would lay traps for me and i would for him like david and Saul. we should have a fine time of it and then perhaps if he did something dreadfully wrong mother would give me leave to fight him just once in a way don't you think that would be nice fighting ain't the only grand thing in this world peace is grander was the slow response to this appeal that's what mother says She made me learn this morning, blessed are the peacemakers, but you must have an enemy to make peace with, and I haven't got one. There was silence. The uncle puffed away at his pipe. He was a good man and had more brains than his appearance warranted, but Teddy's speeches were often a sore puzzle to him. The boy continued in a slow, thoughtful tone, I saw someone today that I feel might be an enemy, but she's a girl. Men don't fight with women. "'I'd rather tackle a man than a woman any day. "'They be a powerful enemy sometimes, lad, "'and what have this young maid done to you?' "'She said,' and Teddy's eyes grew bright "'whilst the blood rushed into his cheeks, "'she said she didn't believe a word of Father's story, "'not a word of it, and she laughed and walked away. "'That was coming at strong, and who is she to talk so? "'She's a stranger. "'Sam said she's come to live with old Sol at the turnpike.' that must be grace's child said old mrs platt coming up and joining in the conversation i heard she was coming to stay with her father this summer and glad i am of it too the old man is very lonely i suppose her husband is at sea again what is her husband inquired teddy's mother as with work in hand she came out and took a seat in the old-fashioned porch a sailor grace was always a roving nature herself she never would settle down quite and take her husband from these parts she was made to our squire's lady then and went to foreign parts with her but folks say she's steadied down now wonderful they've been living at portsmouth she and her little girl End of chapter one recording by Callie goodfellow